What do you wonder? Oh, what do you wonder? What do I wonder? What do I wonder? I'm not sure. I have wondered if Aaron and Dr. T will ever arm wrestle. I consistently wonder if I'm being a good enough mom. Yeah, and if I'm saying the right things to raise my son to be a godly man. Sometimes I wonder what heaven will be like. I wonder what does God have in store for me? Sometimes I wonder what am I doing here? What do I do? What, am, what is my purpose? I feel like that's just intrinsic to who we are as people, to wonder what we're here for and how do we do that as Christians and how do we do that as followers of Christ and how do we be Jesus in the 21st century? I wonder what this time next year is going to look like. That's what I wonder. What is under DIA for real? <laughs> I wonder how long it'll take me to get to where I want to be. I wonder how to raise my kids in this world. I do often wonder if Jesus will come back in my lifetime. Some good ones. So what do you wonder? I wonder sometimes what it's like to be on the other side of me. Ever wonder that for yourself? I wonder how many people are going to join us on Christmas Eve this year. Sometimes I wonder if I'm doing exactly what I need to do for each of my four children. What do you wonder? I wonder at times why I don't wonder the same things that I used to wonder 10 years ago. You ever thought about this? Like, what are the things that I wondered about 10 years ago that I don't wonder about now? And what do I wonder about now that I didn't wonder about 10 years ago? I wonder how long it's gonna take for us to hit our $1 million seeds offering. Right now, this is the number that we're at, which is incredible, 775,000. Yeah, come on, somebody. <clears throat> and this is absolutely amazing. So many of you have given above and beyond to sacrifice financially so that we could get to where we are. Some of you have still remained on the sidelines and I encourage this from the very beginning that it's gonna take all of us to hit that $1 million mark as we prepare for our next step and whatever our future home and wherever our future home is going to be. And on that note, really quick, I wanna invite a friend of mine to come up here really quick and I want you to hear from her what she felt like God was calling her to do to supplement our seeds offering. And so can we give it up for Hallie Krug really quick? Hallie's gonna come up here. And several weeks ago, Hallie came up to me and she handed me an envelope. And so what I've invited her to do, come on over here. What I've invited her to do is to share with you uh, what was in that envelope and how that happened. Go ahead, sweetie. I heard my parents were talking about giving to the seed offering here, and I wanted to contribute. So I decided to start selling bracelets around my school, and I made about $50 in two months. Yeah, can we give it up for Hallie? Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. She said that she was selling them at recess. She was selling them when her teacher wasn't looking, right? She had one of those overcoats, this, you know, and so... Truly, I'm not joking, like when she came up and she handed me an envelope, it almost brought me to tears. Reminds me of the sermon that I preached last week on childlike faith. And so I don't know what it looks like for you, but I know that God is using this church in incredible ways. I know people that are experiencing life change in Jesus. Some people finding salvation for the very first time, changing their eternal destinations. We'll be talking about that a little bit today. 
And so I don't know what that looks like for you, but we said it from the very beginning. Your contribution equals our capacity. Your contribution equals our capacity as a church and whatever it is that God wants for us next. So can I just encourage you, can I encourage you to pray about and think about bringing a special gift during our Christmas Eve services. You can give online, you can bring that gift personally with you during Christmas Eve, but I'm gonna ask that you would pray. Well, do you ever wonder why we wonder? Do you ever wonder why we wonder? I would suggest to you that one of the main reasons that we find ourselves wondering is because we don't have all the answers. And because we don't have all the answers on several different things, we have to fill those gaps with wonder. And by all means, that's gonna play into the subject that we're gonna talk about today because today we're gonna be talking about the subject of heaven. And all of us have wondered when it comes to the subject of heaven. The reason that we've had to wonder is because there's not a lot of things that are clear. Specifically in the Bible, there's not a lot of things that are crystal clear on the subject of heaven. And so what we have to do is we have to think beyond what we know, which causes us to wonder. Now, I feel like I need to make a prefacing statement on this particular subject today because even though I'm going to do my best, which is gonna fall short, anytime we talk about the subject of heaven, it's going to fall short of what actually is and actually what will be, but I wanna make a prefacing statement because I've heard my fair share of sermons and I've read my fair share of books listening to people that do what I do, making statements that sound a lot more certain, like they're, they're offering a lot more certainty where I would say there's still a lot of ambiguity. Now, I don't want to pretend to know what their motives could have been. Maybe they just want to sell some books. It's possible. But I know that I don't want to make that mistake. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to make that same mistake. And so throughout our time this morning, I'm going to do a couple things. And one of the things that I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I distinguish between when I'm suggesting something of what could be, what's possible, and then I'm going to make sure that we're clear when I'm speaking specifically for, about what the Bible has to say, where there is certainty. Because it's great and it's fun to, to wonder beyond what we know, but it's incredibly important that we make sure we start with what the Bible says. Amen? So with that being said, let me start here. Doing what I do, uh, you would imagine that a lot of people come and they ask me questions about heaven. Even this last week, someone was asking me about rewards in heaven. And what does that look like? Because there's some passages that allude to this idea of getting rewards in heaven. And I don't want to spend all of our time focusing on things like that. And what I mentioned to him is, you know, there's, a, there's still debate among scholars on what that particularly could look like. I would probably fall on the side. I would suggest that we do receive some kind of reward in heaven based on the different scriptures that we read. But it wouldn't be a reward in the way that we may think of it in our physical minds right now. Like the way that we would receive a different type of measurement of heaven is something that right now our minds probably couldn't comprehend. But based on our faithfulness here on earth, I would suggest, I would suggest to you that there's enough biblical evidence for me that based on how faithful we are here, that we do receive a different type of measure of what we experience in heaven. But I would also encourage us on things like that, that we don't get so caught up in those particular categories because there's still ambiguity there, right? And we don't want to get caught up in what I call point-proving theology, where it's just like, hey, let me try to prove a point that ultimately we shouldn't spend that much time focusing on because right now what we need to be focusing on is not the rewards we will receive in heaven, but our day-to-day -day faithfulness, right? Our day-to-day -day faithfulness. I've also been asked the question at times, hey, will my dead pet be 
in heaven? To which I answer with an obvious question back, well, it depends. Was your pet a cat? Because it's clear, the Bible's clear on this one. Cat is abbreviated for catastrophic. I'm making stuff up now. I'm going to stop there. Billy Graham once answered that question with the same way that I would answer it this morning. If God thinks heaven will be more complete by your dead pet being in heaven, then he will make it so. Sometimes I'm asked questions that are a little bit deeper, a little bit more sensitive. And I can even tell in the way that the question is asked that people have a tone in their voice where they're looking for for hope. And so they may ask the question that sounds something like this, will my fill in the blank be in heaven? And the clear answer, an easy answer to provide is that the only way that anyone is going to get to heaven is if they put their faith and trust in Jesus on this earth. But that doesn't always give them what they're looking for because they don't know sometimes. I don't know what decisions the people in my family may have or may not have made. And so there's a tone of hope in their voice. And ultimately what I think they're trying to think through is what would those dynamics be like? I mean, what would the dynamics of our family be like when we get to heaven? Like, will we know who our grandpa is and will it still feel like family? Will we know who our kids are and will it still feel like I'm their parents? And even though the Bible doesn't have a lot to say on that particular subject, Jesus does say something about the dynamics of family in Matthew chapter 22 that I want to read to you right now. He says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now, there's still debate over this particular passage because some would immediately make the conclusion, well, there's no, there's no marriages in heaven. And in other words, like my wife that I've been married to coming up on 19 years, um, however long that God gives us here on earth, that that will cease to exist when we move into heaven. Some people have suggested that God's clear about that, but others would suggest that it's like, well, no, what he's saying is that they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In other words, there won't be any new marriages in heaven. And this is where I would tell you context is so incredibly important because if you look, the, look at the context of this passage, Jesus is answering a question from the Sadducees. And the Sadducees did not believe in the afterlife. And so they, they come up with this way, they're trying to trap Jesus Jesus. And they said, so Jesus, what's going to happen? Let's say there's a woman, she marries a guy, he dies, and then she marries her brother and he dies. And that happens seven times. So she's been married to seven different brothers. When they all get to heaven, who will she actually be married to? And Jesus answers with this, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So he's actually taking a reference point of the earthly marriage into heaven. And he's saying that that will no longer exist. And so if you were asking me, based on what I read in scripture, will, will we still be married to our spouse in heaven? I would suggest that based on what Jesus says here, likely not. And if you're excited about that, you probably need some marriage counseling <laughs> right now, which we offer here at Trace, just to be clear. Now, I don't know for a fact, but I've often suggested that we'll be naked in heaven. True statement. If you go back to the beginning when God created Adam and Eve, I want you to think, because I think that's probably one of the clearest pictures that we have of what heaven would be like, because God intended for this, this earth that we live on today, to be the dwelling place where he would walk and live among his people, among his creation. So he created Adam and Eve, and they were naked. And it wasn't until 
they messed up. It wasn't until they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that they realized that they were naked and they hid. And as God was walking through the garden, because again, he was with his creation, he dwelled with them. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. As he was dwelling with his creation, he was walking around and Adam finally spoke up and he said, we were hiding because we felt shame, because we, were knew, we knew we were naked. And I love the follow-up question. This is in Genesis chapter two. I love the follow-up question that God asks. Who told you? Who told you that you were naked? You see, it wasn't until they sinned and they went against what God wanted for their life whether it was eating fruit from a tree or any other decision that God may have made clear that this is not something that I want you to do. It just happened to be picking a fruit from a specific tree that caused them to be separated from God. And when they did that, they brought shame into the world and shame into the world, shame on themselves. And they realized for the first time they're naked. And along along our conversation this morning, I want us to build a list and I want to begin with shame because I think we would all agree that this is something that we don't want any longer when we get to heaven. And it was our sin and separation from God that brought this into the world. But can you imagine a place, like truly, can you just, going back to last week, can you just exercise some childlike faith this morning and can you imagine a place where there is no more shame? None. And if there's no more shame, will we really care if we're naked? And some of you are like, all right, listen, I'm okay if we're naked, but not until after I receive my new body because ain't nobody want to see this, you know what I'm saying? So I don't know what that looks like. But I also know, listen, there's going to be no comparison. Anybody looking forward to a place where you don't have to compare yourself to anyone else in whatever context that may be? And maybe that's hard for you to comprehend it's hard for me to comprehend. I think that's why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, no eye has seen, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And on that note, I really do feel like I just need to take a moment and let you know that no matter how much I've studied this subject, no matter how well I articulate this morning, no matter how much I quote what the Bible even has to say. There's no way I can even come close to helping you to realize, to helping you to even fathom how brilliant, how majestic, how peaceful heaven will actually be. You see, in heaven, the supernatural is natural, something that we will experience as normal. Now, why has seen No ear has heard, which means no human being can even begin to fathom what it will be like when our faith, when our faith actually becomes sight. That's why the Hebrews author says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so what would that moment be like? Can you just wonder with me today? When everything that we've hoped for, everything that we've had faith for, actually becomes our reality. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, okay, Aaron, enough with the stuff that we're not so sure about, enough with the ambiguity. Can we actually talk about some of the things that we are sure about? And I would say, yes, thanks for asking that question. I'd love to do that. 
In Revelation chapter 21, we get a behind-the-scene glimpse. And if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to open them up, turn them on, find your way over to Revelation 21. We'll be there for the rest of our time together. But in Revelation 21, we get, a, get some behind-the-scenes footage in a vision that God gave the Apostle John. And John was able to see glimpses and pictures of what heaven is going to be like. And he describes these pictures and images and visions in Revelation 21. And so I want to read some of that to you this morning. Beginning in verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I want you to hold on to that. A new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then he says something interesting, and then there was no longer any sea. Now, I've heard some scholars suggest that the reason there are no longer any seas is because seas have a way of dividing us, right? Oceans have a way of dividing people and countries and places, and so there will be no more sea. And I thought, ah, that's, that's an interesting way to think about that. Verse 2, he says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. Here we have marriage language once again. And so when we go back and we think, well, it doesn't look like we will actually still be married to our spouse once we get into heaven, I would tell you one of the reasons for that is because we will be married to Jesus. And that sounds almost like a spiritual platitude, but based on all the marriage language that we see throughout the new covenant, and another example here, I would suggest to you that that's exactly what it will feel like. It will feel, it will feel like we've been married or we are married to Jesus, that that deep connection that we would always hope for in another human being, specifically our spouse, is going to be filled. That gap will be filled with how our relationship plays out with Jesus. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of, out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place, right? Going back to the garden again, start thinking through that imagery, a place where God wants to dwell with us once again. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Many scholars have suggested that this new heaven and this new earth as they come together will actually still be on this physical planet. I would suggest that that's what I believe as well. Again, keep in mind that this was God's original intent, right? He created this earth to dwell with us here. When he created the garden, when he created Adam and Eve, his full intent is to spend time with us and to dwell with us here. And if you look at all the incredible, even astro like the astronomy that proves that there are so many intricacies to this planet surviving. And if one little thing were to be off, that it would completely go away, that life in and of itself would completely go away. It looks like God put a lot of energy and a lot of effort behind creating this planet. And I believe he will make all things new here on this particular planet. It'll be a new heaven and a new earth, which means anything that's good anything that's good will be magnified and multiplied. But anything that's bad will be banned. Things like disease and decay, let's add those to our list, and divorce and despair and depression and death. And so think about it, if God's original plan and design was to dwell with us on this particular planet, that begs the question, well, this becomes the new earth, but 
where's the new heaven coming from? In other words, if this is going to be the new heaven, right? A new heaven, a new earth, where is the old heaven? Can I geek out with you guys for a second? Is that okay? I'm gonna suggest some things to you, but I'm also gonna give you some biblical fact to back some of it up. Here's what we know. We know that there's going to be one judgment day, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter five, it says, for for we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, but I tell you that everyone will give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken. So there's one judgment day and that judgment day does not happen until Christ returns, which means there has to be something in between now and when Christ returns. And there's been a lot of different suggestions on what that could be. Some people call it kind of a divine sleep, a divine rest But then I look at different examples where Jesus even says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So I would suggest, you ready? I'm suggesting something. I would suggest to you that there is a place between now and the fullness of the new heaven and the new earth that will come together after Jesus returns for the second time or returns, I should say, for the first time after his second coming. And so that in-between place, I think we can call paradise. Not exactly sure what what it looks like, but this is what I would tell you. It's a place of peace. It's a place of peace. It's a place for those who love Jesus and have given their life to him can maybe experience to some extent some of the presence of God, but not the fullness of the presence of God. I don't think that will happen until after the judgment day. And so if you're wondering what happened or what happens to the people that you love after they die today, I would tell you that they, if they love Jesus and have given their life to him, go to a place of peace, a place that Jesus himself called paradise. And what is this new heaven and this new earth going to look like? I would suggest that it's both going to be familiar and there are going to be some things that right now we can't even fathom. I think it'll go to the animals that we get to touch, the food that we get to taste, and the landscape that we get to see. I think it'll both be familiar and also foreign familiar, and some things that right now we couldn't possibly fathom. I've often shared this with my kids when I get to heaven. I just imagine, imagine running my hands through the mane of a lion. But I think after we get there and actually see what new animals exist, a lion may find its way down the list of the animals that I want to touch. A new heaven, a new earth, a place that is both familiar but also a place that we couldn't possibly fathom. Sometimes people have asked me, Aaron, do you think we'll be able to fly in heaven? I'm like, you're watching too much Matrix, which I get, I love it too. And I'd love to say yes. I mean, I love that idea, right? Who wouldn't love the idea of us being able to fly? But even if that's not the case, even, or even if it was the case, even if we got to fly, I would, I would suggest that it won't even come close to what it'll be like to be in the presence of Jesus himself. Won't even come close. In my 42 years of life, I feel like I've had several experiences with God. I feel like at times I've felt the presence of his Holy Spirit in a very real way. At times I would tell you that I've even seen his power on display, but you know what? I've never, never heard the voice of Jesus. I've never got to touch him. I've never got to see him. I don't know what it's like to be in the presence of pure, untainted love. 
But I can tell you, it's going to overwhelm us. Our mind can't even fathom. Can you go there? Can you wonder? What will it be like? That very first moment with Jesus and maybe God in his magnificence, maybe God in his omnipresence will allow all of us, maybe our first moment in heaven will be all of us experiencing a moment with Jesus first. Will you go there this morning? Can I ask you right now even, exercise some childlike faith, can I ask you to close your eyes as I read this next passage right now, just go ahead and close your eyes. What will that moment be like when you're in the presence of Jesus for the very first time? And what will he do? What will he say? We're not sure, but in Revelation 21, it says in verse four, he will wipe every tear from your eyes. Everyone. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. And you can fill that gap with whatever you need to fill it with right now. What is it that you are looking forward to being in the presence of Jesus that he will allow to dissolve, to dissolve from your life? What season are you in right now? What circumstances are you potentially experiencing right now that you hope will dissolve from your life? For the old order of things will pass away and he who is seated on the throne, which is Jesus says, I am making everything new. You can open your eyes. Notice that he didn't say, I'm making all new things. What he said is, I'm making everything new new, which includes a new body. Anybody ready for their new body? A body free from addiction, from Alzheimer's, from ALS. We should probably add those to our list. A body free from bad joints, thank you Jesus, bad genes, and signs of of an abused past. A body free, listen to me, a body free from the struggle of infertility, miscarriages, and stillborn babies. He's making everything new. On occasion, I've been asked, what age do you think? What age do you think will be in Jesus? And the spiritual answer is 33, right? That's the right answer. What age do you think will be when we get to heaven? And again, one of those areas we're not entirely sure But there is something that Paul once said when he writes to the church in Philippi. There's something that he says, there's something that he mentions that I think gives us a hint to maybe what our bodies will be like. In Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 20, Paul says, But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly watching, waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, which would suggest that they're mature to some extent. So our bodies will likely be mature. So they will become glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Can I pause there for a moment? 
And this is going to be more beneficial maybe for some than it is for others, especially depending on the circumstances and the season that you find yourself in right now. Those last four words in that particular verse says, everything under his control. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to a day where everything is brought back underneath the control of our Heavenly Father because there's way too many things in our life. There's way too many things in this world that are just out of control. And maybe to, speaking to your own situation right now, you can identify with that where you can't wait until everything is brought back underneath the control of our heavenly Father. Because this is what it feels like when things are out of control. This is what it feels like. This is not what we were created for. Per the words of Paul, what we just read. No, you're no, you're a citizen of heaven. There's a day coming where these things will no longer exist. And I'm gonna ask that you get a little bit charismatic with me this morning. If you believe that heaven is real and you know that the promise of eternal life is not a story we talk about on Sundays, but a reality that we will get to, to realize one day in our future. I'm gonna read through this list and as I read through this list and these things go away, if there's a word that I say that you can identify with, can I just encourage you to raise your hand? And if you wanna get a little Pentecostal this morning, go for it and just say, thank you, Jesus, when I say a specific one. So as I read through these, if it identifies with you, just raise your hand. There will be no more in heaven. There will be no more disease, no more decay. And if you raise your hand, keep it up. There'll be no more divorce. There'll be no more despair. Keep it up. Depression. No more death. No more shame. Thank you, Jesus. No more suicide. No more struggle. No more sex trafficking. No more sin. No more crying. No more cancer. No more mourning. There will be no more unexpected phone calls in the middle of the night, and on the other side, you receive some horrible news. Thank you, Jesus. There'll be no more addictions to overcome Alzheimer's that rob us from our mind, ALS that rob us from our ability to use our bodies. There will be no more abuse. Thank you, Jesus. There will be no more need to pretend. There will be no more that time of the month. And all God's women said, all God's men, let's just be honest. Let's. No more pressure. There'll be no more fear. No more failure, thank you, Jesus. No more feelings of hopelessness, thank you, Jesus. No more worry or weariness or weakness. No more headaches. No more hurts and habits and hang-ups. No more war or wayward teenagers or division or broken families. No more court cases. No more absent fathers, thank you, Jesus. Because in heaven... All things will be made new. Will you do me a favor and just stand to your feet this morning as I read Revelation 21, 6 through 7. When God says, and it'll be done. It's done because I'm the alpha and I'm the omega. I'm the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of, wa of the water of life and it will never go away. And those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, 
and they will be my kids. You can be seated. Heaven is not the default destination for good people. It's the destination of those who receive the grace of God. Billy Graham was once in a city uh, that was new to him, and he gets to the city for one of his crusades, and he stops by this gas station and asks this young man, hey, do you know the way to the post office? And the little the guy says, yeah, you know, you go this way and take a right and whatever that was, and gave him directions to get to the post office. And Billy Graham felt like this was a moment that he needed to seize and said, young man, I'm going to be having a crusade tonight in the way only Billy Graham can talk, of course. And I would encourage you to come because I'm going to show you the way to heaven. The young man said, you don't even know the way to the post office. How do you know how to get to heaven? There's only one way. Just one. In John chapter 13 and chapter 14, we see Jesus preparing his disciples for his departure. And as he's preparing his disciples for his departure, he's letting them know a few things. Hey guys, you can't come with me where I'm going. Not right now. But I'm gonna go and I'm gonna prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I wouldn't tell you this. I'm gonna go and I'm going to prepare, which again gives us this idea of maybe this in-between place, something like a paradise, because it's not done yet. I'm gonna go and prepare a place for you. And then I'll come back and I'll get you because in my Father's house, and I love that depiction of what heaven is, right? Jesus said in John 14, in my, ha- in my Father's house are many rooms. And I'm gonna go and prepare one for you. But let me be clear about something. There's only one sure way to get there. Only one sure way. And then Jesus said the most clear words maybe that he's ever said. I am that way. John 14, 6, I am that way because I'm the only truth. I'm the only source of life. And there's no way to get to the Father's house unless you go through me. Let me give this to you. Some of you are potentially here today and you don't know if that is secure for you You don't know if you've ever necessarily made the decision that God has asked you to make so that your salvation can be secure and that heaven will become your reality. The only way to do that is to put your trust and faith in Jesus. And maybe some of you have been like me. If I were to go back into my young life and I think about the different opportunities that I had to secure my salvation by putting my faith and trust in Jesus and acknowledging that he's the leader and Lord of my life. I kind of flirted with it, right? Maybe you've flirted with it. And so we get close to kind of securing that. We get closer and closer. And then we decide, you know, maybe I'm not ready. And just kind of loosen that up a little bit. But I want to be clear about something. And there's a reason why this side of this rope is red and white, because without Jesus, your body will always be stained by sin. Without Jesus, this is going to follow you not only to despair for the rest of this life, but despair for the life to come because without Jesus, you will always be tainted by sin. And when there becomes a final judgment day, God won't have a place for you. The Bible's really clear about that. And so how do we, how do we get the sin off of us? And how do we know that our salvation can be secure and that our sin will be made clean? 
the only way that we can secure that is by committing our life to Jesus. Acknowledging that you're a sinner in need of God's grace. Heaven's not full of good people. It's full of forgiven people. All you have to do is acknowledge that Jesus died on a cross for your sin. Invite him to take residence in your life. Allow him to be the leader and Lord of your life. And the Bible is clear. Your salvation is secured. You'll be given the promise of the Holy Spirit, which secures, seals, as Ephesians says, your salvation. And you'll notice that this side of the rope is a little bit thicker than this side of the rope, which has no spiritual significance whatsoever. I just couldn't find another rope at Lowe's that was the same size. Don't ever put that decision off. Doing what I do, I can promise you I've got many examples that show to be true that you are not promised tomorrow that you don't know what will happen, that you don't know when you'll take your very last breath. And so if you've never secured your salvation by giving your life over to Jesus, I want you to do it today. We're gonna lead into a time of response. And the way that we do that here at Trace is, for those of us that have made the decision to follow Jesus around the room, you'll see four crosses. And at those tables are cups. And in that cup, is a reminder of our personal salvation. There's some juice that represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled out for the forgiveness of our sins. In Hebrews, it says there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And then we take a cracker that represents Jesus' body and we remember that there was a physical resurrection. It was his actual physical body that died and three days later came back to life. And it's from that example alone that we know that through the resurrection that all the things that Jesus promised were true, including heaven. Maybe you're here today and you've internally made the decision to follow Jesus, but for whatever reason, you've never been baptized. Jesus is actually really clear about this too. We don't teach here that, that baptism saves you, but Jesus says after you confess that he's the leader and Lord of your life, the next thing you should do is get baptized, which shows other people that you're not ashamed to call Jesus your Lord. You're not ashamed for other people to know of that decision that you made, and it's a resemblance. Baptism is a resemblance. It's a representation of you dying to your way of life as you go underneath that water. You're dying to your way of life, being raised to walk a new life with Christ. Maybe you were baptized as a baby, which... It's great that your parents made that decision, but the scriptures are clear. It's a decision that you should have always made when you understood it. So as we have a time of response, if you either need to accept Jesus for the first time or you're ready to get baptized, I wanna encourage you to come up and grab one of these white towels on the end of the stage and then encourage you to take them to next steps before you're done today and we're gonna get you scheduled to get baptized in the very first Sunday of 2022. January is the second. Second, on January 2nd. What a better way, or is there, an, is there a better way to start a new year than the biggest commitment you could ever make to Jesus Christ? I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna encourage you to respond. If you need to come get a towel, nothing should hold you back. This is your day to secure your salvation. God, right now, I'm handing this over to you. God, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move powerfully in the lives and the hearts and souls of people in this room. And for those that haven't yet made a decision to give their life over to you, God, I pray that they would feel your presence, 
and that they would almost even feel uncomfortable if they don't allow their feet to start walking down that aisle towards one of these towels, God, that you would help them to almost feel burdened by it, broken about it. Father, we thank you for the promise of heaven, something our minds can't fathom, but we believe in it, God. It's hope for what we cannot see, but one day our faith will become sight. Thank you, Jesus. So God, move powerfully. Right now, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.